This is Home and Garden Radio podcast number 22. You may have noticed we didn't do a podcast last week because last week was a replay for the most part because I was sick with a cold, but I'm live this week. Home and Garden Radio podcast this week, we talk about organic gardening and pest control and German roaches and soil and fall fertilizer and just a bunch of stuff home and garden radio podcast by the way is the recorded version of our radio show which airs every saturday morning on radio stations all across america on the biz talk radio network it's time to talk gardening and all things botanical you're tuned to the home and garden show with michael Kroos. hello neighbor michael is a fun-loving family man who knows all there is to know about plants <laughs> i'm a genius he'll talk about outdoor plants indoor plants pest control water gardening pruning grow lights fertilizer you name it we're on in 10 seconds so get ready to have a good time call michael now toll free this is exciting isn't it and now, here's Michael Kroos. Do you have German cockroaches in your house? Hey, this week's edition of Home and Garden Radio is brought to you by the good people at HelpIHaveBugs.com. That's HelpIHaveBugs.com. HelpIHaveBugs.com. And thankfully, I don't have bugs. I'm happy about that. You know... Gosh, having bugs is like a real pain. I have not had German cockroaches for many, many, many years. The last time I had German cockroaches is when, well, anybody who has kids knows about this thing that happens. Uh, you know the chocolate candy bars that you sell for Little League or soccer or somebody? Well, one time, many, many years ago, uh, we had kids in soccer. And the soccer team was selling those bars of chocolate. And the lovely former Mrs. Kroos decided to get very aggressive and said, we'll go out and sell a whole box of those things. By the way, those are like really cool chocolate bars. You know, they had the nuts. They, they were good. I mean, I would have bought all of them myself. You know, I mean, they were good. Always buy those things. And um, we were going to Disney World for the weekend. Yes, we were going off to wonderful Wally World for the weekend. So Friday... We got the box, and I just stuck it in the kitchen at the house. Actually, it was on Thursday we got the box because we left Friday morning, bright and early, for our Disney World weekend. You know, take the kids to Disney, run around, have fun, do all of the things that you do at Disney, and spend lots and lots and lots of money at Disney World because that's what you do. You spend lots and lots and lots of money at Disney World. So off we went to go do that, and that's exactly what we did. And then we came back, and we got back on, oh gosh, Sunday night we got back. No, long Disney weekend. Kids were exhausted. The former Mrs. Kroos was exhausted. I was exhausted. You know, when you wait in line for hours upon hours for Dumbo's magic ride, which is another story, which I'll get into at another time. Uh, by the way, when you go to Disney World, my least favorite ride is Dumbo. It just is. But anyway, another time. Another time. I, I go off on tangents about Dumbo, and it's, it's, it's not good. I love Disney World, though. Disney World is the best theme park in the entire world. 
the experience there is 100% always. These people know how to, you know, these people know how to show a family a great time, and I'm not kidding. They, they truly do. They do it better than anyone. And there's other theme parks over in Central Florida. None of them, none of them hold a candle to Disney. The Disney experience is highly superior to anyone's. It's worth all the extra money, a lot of money. But anyway, we get back Sunday night and, uh, you know, throw all the kids in the bathtubs, do all that good type of stuff. And I'm handling that. And then all of a sudden, I'm down the hall. I got both the, the boys who are young then in the bathtub, in the bubble bath, and uh, having what I used to refer to as a powerful bath. And the reason that it was a powerful bath, this was just one of these cool things. I bought one of those, uh, and I don't even know where I got it. Maybe I got it for a present, but it was one of those things that you laid down in your bathtub. You filled it up with water, and it had a little button, and it shot air up through the bottom. Okay, I didn't particularly like the thing. I thought it was dumb. But here's what I discovered about this thing. Am I getting off on a tangent? I don't care. I'm doing it anyway because it was so cool. Uh, you put that thing in there. You throw the kids in there. You put water in there. And then you take a little bit of Dove dishwashing detergent and you squirt it in there. And then you turn that puppy on. Now, this is why we call this a powerful bath because all the bubbles came up and the young kids, you know, Tyler and Kyle were very young then. And the bubbles would just come flying up and they, it would rise the bubbles would literally rise to the ceiling the whole bathroom would get filled with bubbles it was hysterical and the kids just absolutely loved it so once in a great while we would do the powerful bath thing and i figured since you know coming back from disney powerful bath thing was just the thing to do the kids were filthy this would get them clean they would have fun life would be good and you know shaboom shaboom so off we go for the powerful bath. The next thing I know, the former Mrs. Gross is screaming at the top of her lungs. Screaming at the top of her lungs. Well, I can't leave the kids alone in the bathtub. I guess I could. You know, they were old enough, but I just don't do that. So I said, I'll be down, you know, when we're done with the powerful bath. And she's screaming, you'll come now. I said, you come here. She comes down there. I said, you watch kids. What's going on? She goes, there are roaches in our kitchen, and there's not a few of them. There's lots of them. So I go down there. It's dark. I go down there, and sure enough, there are German cockroaches all over the kitchen. Now, this was 1985, somewhere in that area, 85, 86, 1985, I believe, when the, this happened. So the kids were young. We did not have in 1985, the nifty stuff that was that is available now to take care of German cockroaches. But I'm sitting there, where did all these German cockroaches come from? So I start doing a little bit of exploring. And, and sure enough, I open up the box of chocolates and they are all over the box of chocolates. I mean, literally all over the box of chocolates. So German cockroaches came into the house from the box of chocolates. So the very first thing I did was take the box of chocolates outside into the backyard. And the former Mrs. Cross is saying, oh no, that's you know a lot of money. I don't care. It's full of roaches. And that's how why we got roaches was from that box of chocolates. So we're just gonna have to explain this to the people and you know, blah, blah, blah. So Go back in, and what do you do to get, well, in, in those days, you had to spray. And, you know, that was just, oh, man, it was using toxic chemicals. I think I used Durzban. 
in the kitchen. You're doing cracking crevice spraying with Dursban all over the kitchen trying to kill these German cockroaches. I, it was about 9 o'clock at night when we discovered these things, 9, 9.30 at night when we discovered these things. I was up with my Dursban, which stunk to high heaven. I mean, you would not believe how gross it smelled. And I'm, and I had this little pin stream sprayer, and I'm spraying it into all of the cracks and crevices, behind the dishwasher, under the sink, uh, you know, taking drawers, emptying out the cupboards, spraying in the cupboard. Oh, I mean, it was just, you would not believe the mess it was. The next morning, woke up, there's dead roaches everywhere, but there were still a bunch of live ones. It took me days to get rid of those German cockroaches. Literally days upon days upon days. And the smell the, it was just, you know, and, and of course the former Mrs. Crows thought that the kitchen was now a toxic waste dump, which I guess it was because, you know, this was prior to the research on chlorphyllose, which is the active ingredient in Dursban, being released about how long chlorphyllose used inside a building actually stayed airbound or airborne which was a long time which by the way might have something to do with why that product no longer exists and is not on the market it wasn't banned dow chemical took it off the market after seeing these research reports but i mean that's what i used that that's what i had to use to to get rid of them and then i went to a more friendly method after that because i still had them i didn't have as many but i still had some and i uh I finally started using boric acid dust. And the boric acid dust didn't work very well. I just got to admit, now up north it works well, but in Florida where the humidity is so high, it it just doesn't work well. But it was better than nothing, and it wasn't as toxic as the Durisban. Uh, it, it probably took me a week, week and a half to totally get rid of those things. To whereas now, any of the good roach baits is all you have to do. Is, is put little tiny dabs of good roach baits. You know, you hear me advertising Advion. That's what I, I use now. But there are others out there. And, you know, but being aggressive with the roach baits is something that is very, very good to do. And it seems to do a good job. It, it, well, as a matter of fact, it does do a good job. I haven't had to use it at my own house, but I have used it. And I can testify to it. But, uh, you know... Um, the, the question was, do the little combat stations work? Yes, the combat stations actually work. The active ingredient in the combat bait stations, the, the, they look like little roach motels, but they're not roach motels. The active ingredient in those things is fipronil. But here's the key. You got to buy fresh ones. So you got to buy new ones and you got to use them up pretty fast because they don't have a giant, a long shelf life. But you have to be persistent and they don't work as fast as the gel, the Advion gel. They don't work as fast, but they do work. You will get rid of the roaches over a period of time. They don't work fast, but they work. So, yes, they work. And they do a pretty good job, I have to say. Hey, we will continue because I have other stuff that I want to talk about right here on Home and Garden Radio.
This is Gardening in Two Minutes. Though fall is nearly upon us, there's still one more vegetable that you need to plant in your garden. When growing garlic, many people don't realize that you start this vegetable in the fall. So you want to start about three to four weeks before your first frost date. You want to pick really good hardy cloves from an heirloom variety. This will produce the best garlic for you. You want to buy something local if possible because then it will be climatized to your area. You plant the garlic about two inches deep and then you don't need to mulch it in or anything. You can mulch it lightly, but it's okay if you don't mulch it at all. Now, pre, uh, to plant your bulbs, you want to pre-soak them. You can do this in water or what we use is a product from ManureTea.com. The reason why you want to hydrate your bulb before you plant it is to get good root establishment prior to the ground freezing. Then in the spring, as the ground thaws, the roots are already established because garlic is a very hardy bulb. Then it will begin to put top growth on and then you can begin to mulch it in the spring or use other organic fertilizers to properly neutralize nutrients the soil. Yes, when the ground is thawed, then at that point, you want to go ahead, add some fertilizer. You can add the manure tea from manuretea.com or you can add a different type of organic fertilizer that way you want to put it around the, the top of the growth so that it can sink into the ground nicely. And then in the spring as the scapes or the seed pods begin to grow on the plant, you want to cut them off to allow all the energy of that plant to go in maximum bulb production rather than putting on seeds for reproduction. And you want to plant using bulbs using the cloves from the bulbs instead of the seeds because then you can harvest it the first year. If you use seeds, it can take up to 24 months. For more information on planting garlic, our weekly video productions, as well as our free downloadable digital quarterly magazine, you can find all that information at thewisconsinvegetablegardener.com. For the health-conscious organic gardener worldwide. For Gardening in Two Minutes, I'm Joy Bear. And I'm Holly Bear. And I'm Michael Gross. Gosh, love those people, I swear. Uh, check out their website. Uh, check out their quarterly magazine. I had not checked out their quarterly magazine. And I, I, gotta, I gotta get on the phone with those folks again. You have no idea. It's done in a PDF form. It is fabulous. It is absolutely fabulous. I have no idea how they put together something that is so good. And uh, their videos, I subscribe to their YouTube channel. And I, you know, look forward to their videos. They're always excellent. They're just marvelous productions. They're very inspiring people. They really are. So check out the Wisconsin Vegetable Gardener and, uh, you know, look at them. Go on my website, homeandgardenradio.com. You'll find a link to their website, a few things back. Uh, just check them out. They're here every week giving us two minutes of gardening. So I really appreciate that. Really appreciate that a lot, as a matter of fact. And especially as we go into fall, and we're heading into fall right now, they're going to be giving us lots of good gardening tips as we get into fall. And by the way, in my humble opinion, fall is the time for us to do planting. That's when I like to do my planting, especially if you're planting uh, trees, shrubbery, anything like that. Now's the time of year to do that before winter sets in so you start getting good root establishment. One of the things that we have proven over and over and over again is that plants that are planted in the fall, when the spring comes out, they just take off. They really, and, and that goes for just about everything. 
they just take off. Whereas when you plant in the spring, and yes, you can plant in the spring, and statistically, the overwhelming majority of people do plant in spring. Those plants do fine. They do good. But the ones that were planted in fall do much, much, much better. Why is that? Because right now, the you know, it's cooler. The days are shorter. Uh, you get really good root establishment, and you really start to develop the third, what I call the third section of the roots, which are those hairy feeder roots that are so necessary for good plant development and nutrient. They take in the nutrient. Um, you know, Joey and Holly were talking about with garlic, uh, how they want you to remove the seed pods from the garlic in the spring so that all of the energy of the plant can go into the bulb development and the root developments around the bulb. And I couldn't agree more. And by planting the garlic in the fall, you are doing a lot of assisting of that. We want all of the concentration to go into those roots when we first plant plants, because that is how plants become established, is by having good root systems. And the way that plants have good root systems is by having good soil. You have good soil. You have good roots. Everything's wonderful. Everybody's happy. The plants are happy. The plants get less disease. The plants get fewer insects. Uh, you know, one of the things that good organic gardeners do, and by the way, when I say good organic gardeners, the overwhelming majority, in my humble opinion, of organic gardeners are not good at it. Okay, Joey and Holly, very good at it. But a lot of people get into organic gardening and they treat symptoms and they, they do all of this stuff that you're not supposed to do. And I learned organic gardening from a guy by the name of Garth Craig long ago, back in 1972. Garth taught me way back then. He was 65 years old back then. He told me way back then. He was an old gardener from North Carolina. He said, Michael, you treat the soil right. You get good, healthy soil, and you're not going to have problems. He said, the problems down here in Florida where we live now is nobody takes care of the soil because we don't have good soil. We got sand and nobody takes care of it. They're always dumping chemical fertilizers on it. We're spraying insecticides on it. We're doing all this stuff. We're treating symptoms. He said, you treat the soil right, you have good, you know, and when he was a farmer in North Carolina, he used very, very, very little fertilizer. Uh, most of the time he didn't use fertilizer. They rotated their crops. They they did all of these things. Uh, and then they, they used some manure-based fertilizer in the summertime. But uh, most of the time, they were just concentrating on the soil. And that's what Joey and Holly Baird talk about is making good soil. That's what I talk about. That's what the true organic, the good organic gardeners do. You make good soil. You're going to have good roots. You're going to have good plants. They're going to be nice and healthy. They're going to have what one of my mentors called excellent sap pressure. You know, we have blood pressure. Uh, you know, our blood's flowing through our veins. Well, same thing, sap pressure. You get good flowing of sap through the plants. That makes the plant strong. And when insects try to get in there, especially insects with piercing, sucking mouth parts, try and get in there. They can't. Because the plant is just so good. 
the potassium, the natural potassium that is in that soil, in that plant, has worked its way up to make that plant strong. So the insects, you know what the insects do? Insects go to the unhealthy plants. Uh, you know, they go to the, the least resistance. The path of least resistance is where they go. Same thing with disease. You're not going to get a disease in a healthy plant. And a healthy plant, once again, comes from healthy soil. All right? Healthy plant comes from healthy soil. Remember that. Home and Garden Radio continues right here on your very favorite radio station. By the way, if you've got a question for me, go to the website, go to the Ask Michael, and leave me a voice question, and I'll answer it on the air. We will continue. Michael. Do you have German cockroaches in your house? Hey, this week's edition of Home and Garden Radio is brought to you by the good people at HelpIHaveBugs.com. That's HelpIHaveBugs.com. HelpIHaveBugs.com. During the break, I was speaking with a uh, good friend of mine and telling him a little bit about what I'd been talking about on the show. And uh, he had mentioned to me, you know, when I was tell, I told him I was talking about the German cockroach infestation that I had in my house. And he said, well, do they come in from outside? And also does diatomaceous work to control them? Well, let's start with the, does the diatomaceous earth work to control them? And the answer is yes. Uh, but it's messy. But it, the answer is yes, a lot better than the boric acid uh, does. But it's messy, and you've got to have an apparatus to get it into the cracks and crevices. In 1985, when I had the German cockroach problem, I did not know about diatomaceous earth. The only thing I knew about diatomaceous earth back then is it's what we used to use in our swimming pool filter when I was growing up in the town of Dunedin. Uh, Florida, and my parents, you know, we had a swimming pool with a diatomaceous earth filter. The diatomaceous earth that is used in filters does not work to control pests. I must always have to clarify this when I talk about this. You have to get the all-natural, uncalcinated diatomaceous earth. You have to make sure you are buying the correct diatomaceous earth, which is a long, drawn-out thing. If you go to homeandgardenradio.com, Look for the diatomaceous earth tab on there, and you can read all about the correct type of diatomaceous earth, and uh, you it'll tell you what to look for when buying it. It doesn't tell you where to buy it. They're eBay, you know, you can find it there. Uh, I'll give you a brand name, and lots of people sell it, and you won't go wrong with it. It's the Permaguard uh, diatomaceous earth. A bunch of people sell it on eBay. Uh, buy it there and don't buy a 50 pound bag of it because you'll never use it uh, get the smallest cheapest container you can get and there's a bunch of people on ebay who sell it dirt cheap because it is dirt it's diatomaceous earth but yes diatomaceous earth will work at controlling german cockroaches but you must be able to get the dust into the crack and crevices where they are diatomaceous earth by the way will not only work on german cockroaches it is excellent uh, to use uh, on the big roaches and in the crickets and things like that uh, out in the garage i i'll tell you what i make this little i made this little puffer my own little duster and i'll tell you what i made it out of i took a you know the squeeze bottles of ketchup i took one of those 
got it all cleaned out. The, the trick to making this work is you take the cap off of it. Oh, I guess this would be called a plant hack. Maybe I should do that, plant hacks, uh, gardening hacks. Uh, but this is, this is a hack. Uh, you take the top off, you wash it out, you get all the ketchup out of there. And then the key is getting it perfectly dry on the inside. There can be no moisture on the inside. So I, you know, put it out in the backyard and let it sit there all day and heat and dried mine out. I guess a quicker method would be to take a blow dryer and hold it in there, just get all of the moisture out of it. And then you fill this halfway full, halfway full of the all-natural diatomaceous earth. And what I do with that is I puff it underneath the refrigerator, behind the refrigerator. Uh, I take it out in the, the laundry room or in the garage, garage, and I puff it under any appliances that are out there, such as the hot water heater, such as uh, the washer and dryer, or if you have a laundry room underneath the washer and dryer, uh, things like that, underneath your stove, behind your stove, underneath your dishwasher. If you open up the dishwasher and you'll see that there's a void between the actual dishwasher itself and the cabinet, it's not a very big void. Some of them are bigger than others, depending upon how well it was installed and how tight it is. But if there is a void there, if you can just puff a little tiny bit, you don't have to use a lot. Yeah, that's the thing about diatomaceous earth. You don't have to use a lot, but just puff a little bit out with that. And uh, the other thing I did is I have one of those hand dusters, a rather big one, and I, I bought it at a yard sale. It's pretty cool. It'll shoot diatomaceous earth a great distance. And I go up in the attic. I went up in the attic with this thing, and I just one big shove and shot diatomaceous earth everywhere with this thing. And just one good shot it all over the attic, just a very light coating for all the bugs that crawl around in the attic. And if you have a crawl space underneath the house, you can do it there as well. Uh, and it works well at keeping out the crickets and the big roaches. And, you know, it actually works on spiders and, and things like that. And it's all totally natural and it works. I use that little puffer, that little ketchup puffer thingy um, outside in the garden. Now, I'm not a big one for blanketing areas with diatomaceous earth outside because diatomaceous earth controls every insect, including the beneficials. But if there is a insect that is my target, um, I will, and I have used it on leaf miners. I've used it on things like that. I just take my little ketchup puffer thing and I go out and I just puff it underneath the leaves on plants that I, where I'm targeting or scales. It's really good on scale. And I don't know why I've had great success with it on scale. And then, and the other beneficial thing about that compared to using a chemical pesticide. And by the way, I'm not totally, I don't totally object to using chemical pesticides, but you know, I like, if you don't have to don't, if you can use natural, use natural. And this is a great natural. And the benefit, the other side benefit of using the diatomaceous earth outside is that it's a benefit and it's a curse, I guess, because there is no residual when you're using this on plants, and by the way, you can use it on your tomatoes, anything that you eat, you can use it on. It's fine. You can eat the stuff, and it's fine. It's not going to hurt you. It, it, that, that's the neat thing about it. But the other interesting thing, the, the benefit, and some people might call it a curse, is that when it rains, it's totally useless. It goes into the ground. It's totally useless as an insecticide or as an insect control method. But what happens when it hits the soil? You know, in the last segment, we were talking about good, healthy, wonderful soil. Well, diatomaceous earth in the soil is something that is wonderful. You know, and when I set up growing boxes, I mix diatomaceous earth as part of the soil mix 
when I'm doing container guarding. Always have, since I learned about diatomaceous earth, I have always done this because diatomaceous earth holds many times its weight in moisture and nutrients. And I have, you know, when you treat in, you know, treat bushes or shrubs or, or vegetables outside with the diatomaceous earth, and then it rains or you irrigate, it goes down into the soil, it actually helps to condition the soil. Instead of having something going into the soil that's going to be of detriment, such as a chemical pesticide, the diatomaceous earth is a totally natural product that is actually going down and is going to enhance the soil as far as retaining moisture, as far as retaining nutrients, as far as retaining minor elements. They just kind of stick to it and hang out longer which is a good thing, and, and we like that. So I, I'm a big one for diatomaceous earth, but understand a little bit goes a long way, and you have to make sure that you use the right one. And yes, it will work for the German cockroaches to answer my friend's question. The other part of his question was, do the German cockroaches come in from outside? And the answer to that is yes, but they don't come in through your door. They don't come in through the garage. The large roaches and the crickets seem to enter your house through the garage. Seems to be their favorite part. But the little tiny German roaches that come into your house are brought into your house uh, with things that you bring in, corrugated boxes full of, uh, of veggies, an excellent way to bring in. Uh, boxes, in my case, which we were talking about a while ago, was when we brought home that box of chocolate that just happened to be filled with German cockroaches. We brought those into the house. They didn't just come in from outside. So I've had people say, well, my neighbors have it. Do I get it? No, you don't, because they don't travel from house to house. Unless, of course... You were to bring over like a bag of onions from the neighbors that might have German cockroaches in them, and then they will come to you. So uh, that is just one of the things. Uh, beer, uh, corrugated beer cases. I don't know why. Just seem to love it. They just show up in those things, come in that way. Um, a lot of greens. If you bring in a lot of greens, make sure you wash them out really, really well because for some reason they come into the house with those. Uh, and I, w I was in a doctor's house, a multi-million dollar doctor's house that was absolutely spotless. It was so clean. That house was so clean. You could eat off the floor in there and... They had a very bad German cockroach infestation, which came in. These people ate a lot of onions, and they bought. They used onions. She's a wonderful cook. She used onions and everything, and she had a, a bin in part of her kitchen that was opened up where they stored their onions, and they bought lots and lots of onions and uh, full of German cockroaches. They had to make other choices. Hey, we will continue in just a few minutes. Stick with us right here on Home and Garden Radio on the BizTalk Radio Network. You can contact Michael at homeandgardenradio.com. That's homeandgardenradio.com. And now, back to Michael. 
And gosh, geolickers, why don't we get into a little bit of uh, talk about fall feeding time and contradict what we were just talking about a little bit ago when we were talking about organic gardening and the concentration on the soil. And I was telling you about, you know, Mr. Craig, who used very little fertilizer. And the interesting thing is I was out driving on the road yesterday and I saw a uh, county vehicle. And a lot of the big county vehicles where I live in the municipality that I live now have. And there's this big program by our county government that says skip the fertilizer. You know, save the water, save the watershed, skip the fertilizer. Because there's a lot of junk science going out there saying that fertilizer, and, you know, it's not all junk science, but they're saying that fertilizer is bad for the waterways. And I have to agree it is to a certain extent if it is not done properly. Fertilization of your home lawn, okay, if done properly, is not going to harm the environment. It is not going to have water runoff, and it's not going to, you know, it's going to be more beneficial to the plant and to the environment. Because unfortunately, you know, the way that in nature, let's let's just, if we can, can we go to nature? Is do we have any nature music? Uh, we'll we'll see if we have some nature music. But the way things happen in nature is that the butterflies fly around, the squirrels jump up on the trees, and the birds fly by, and everything is just wonderful. As a matter of fact, there was a test years ago, back in the 90s, where they took a residential home someplace in the Midwest, in Illinois, I believe, and they stopped doing everything to it. They stopped mowing the lawn. They stopped trimming the shrubs. They didn't put any fertilizer down. They just let this thing go and let nature take its course. Now, you can only imagine how thrilled the neighbors were with this whole test, but it was a bonafide test done by some university I remember reading all about and actually seeing photographs of it. And the first year, it looked terrible. I mean, it just looked overgrown. It looked like an abandoned house. It looked, you know, just awful. But a strange thing happened about the second year. The grass didn't seem to grow as tall. They never cut the grass. It just seemed to to go down to a, you know, not what I would call an acceptable, you know, length, but it was, it, it looked better. Let's put it that way. The plants all became more healthy. There were very few insects there were beneficial insects that were eating the bad insects and and as the branches fell off the trees they biodegraded into the soil and as the little bird flew by and died and fell to the soil he rotted into the soil and all of you know nature taking its course if you go out into the forest you see the same thing out in the forest and out in the meadows uh, you know nature just sort of happens well, then we decided that we wanted to live there, all of us, all of us people. So we built towns and we built subdivisions and we built neighborhoods. And, you know, we put concrete where the trees had their roots. We built houses and driveways and sidewalks and streets and sewers and all these things that we just just put there. And... Everything that was happening natural, 
or in a natural way, just sort of stopped. And we had to adjust to that, which we did, you know, and we wanted to have nice looking yards in the 1950s. That was extremely important. You know, I remember in the 1950s, my dad out pushing the lawnmower, making our yard look good. Everybody was into that in the 40s before I was around. They were into that. Now they're into that. But now you just can't do that without using some artificial things, such as fertilizer. Yeah, got to use it. Otherwise, the yard's not going to look good. Now, yes, there are organic fertilizers that you can use on the yard. Not very many of them that are very good. Ringer Lawn Restore is a good one. But, uh, you know, there are no real organic lawn care programs other than Ringer out there. there there's a couple. But, uh, you know, there is a company that's selling a lawn fertilizer that they're claiming to be organic that is made of chicken poop as the main active nitrogen ingredient. Well, you know, how organic is that? What are the chickens eating? Chickens eat a lot of weird stuff. I don't think I would use chicken poop. They feed chickens all kinds of stuff, and chicken poop is going to reflect what the chickens are eating, don't you think? And if they're eating all these weird antibiotics and hormones and all this other stuff, well, then that's going to wind up in your fertilizer and in your lawn. So I don't use it. I'd rather use a regular chemical fertilizer that I know what it is and I know what the source of everything is. So, you know, there's all of these things that we have to do. If we're going to live in rural America, we're not going to live 100% organically in our yards because Americans like nice looking yards. And there are lots of wonderful lawn care companies who will come out and they will do a responsible job of taking care of your lawn. You can do a responsible job of taking care of your lawn by not over fertilizing, by using good fertilizer, good, you know, really professionally great, you know, professional grade good fertilizers, which are available. Scott's makes some wonderful fertilizers. Scott's is a company who really cares about the environment. They don't make garbage that you're going to put on your yard. They don't. Okay, I'm not connected to them. They don't give me any money. They don't even give me a bag of fertilizer. But I will tell you, they're a very responsible company. miracle Grow, very responsible company. You know, there's a lot of very responsible fertilizer companies. out Growtone, company out of Canada, marvelous company. Very responsible. Greenlight out of Texas. Marvelous company. Great products. So now as we get into fall, it is the time to do our fall fertilization. And on next week's show, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to spend the whole hour next week talking about fall fertilizer. So I would encourage you to get your questions together. Go to my website. Go to the Ask Michael section. Leave a question. And we'll answer it. We will see you next week, everybody. Have a marvelous gardening week. Take care. Bye-bye.